Today's episode of The Overwhelmed Brain is brought to you by GetOutOfTheMess.com. Real attorneys at established law firms for only $20 a month. Totally cool. Are you annoyed by New Year's resolutions? What about when someone yells, Happy New Year! Let's make 2017 even better than 2016 because this is the only time of year we really care about thinking positively about the changes we want to make. That's right, if you're listening to this show on the day it's released, today is January 1st, 2017. That means if you're used to writing, uh, what, the number 2016 on things, then you'll have to adapt to writing or typing a new number. But of course, it's much more than that. With a new year comes reflection and also resolutions. But resolutions involve commitment at a deep level that bind you to a new routine or a new thought process. And if you're not already good at committing to a task that you set your mind to, then making New Year's resolutions is about as effective as uh, paying the minimum on your credit card bill. (laughs) You never get ahead. So instead of talking about New Year's resolutions in this episode, I'm going to talk about compatibility problems with people, places, and things in your life. What does that mean? That means that when you go out into life and you try to make something work, if it's not compatible with who you are, how you want to be, how you want to show up in the world, you probably won't show up in the world. You probably won't enjoy it. You'll probably get burnt out. Like um, getting a gym membership. <laughs> New Year's resolution, get a gym membership. And then uh, three days later, you're like, oh, I'm so sore and I'm tired. And every time I go, I, I don't like it. And soon you're not going anymore. And then it's over. You don't go back to the gym. And you're like, well, exercise wasn't for me. Or I just can't do it. And it's because there's a compatibility issue. <laughs> Maybe you're not a gym rat. Not that you have to be a gym rat. But maybe you're just not compatible with the gym. Maybe there's something else. So let's talk about that today in this special edition of The Overwhelmed Brain, the first day of 2017. And if you're listening to this 10 years from now, 10 years ago, this is what we talked about. (laughs) So stick around. If you think affirmations feel like lies and positive thinking feels like a straight path to denial, then you're in the right place to start creating the life you want now. This is Paul Coliani, host of this show that I call The Overwhelmed Brain. I am a personal empowerment coach, and this is the personal growth show for critical thinkers. On every episode, we'll talk about practical, down-to-earth steps to help you improve your mood and keep you sane in this powerful journey we call life. I want to help you build a bridge between your emotions and reason, causing you to discover why you do the things you do and what you can do to reach higher levels of happiness and lower levels of stress and overwhelm. Everything I talk about on this show should not be misconstrued, misinterpreted, or just plain misunderstood to be actual medical advice or treatment and is intended to be for informational and educational purposes only. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your medical treatment. What you will find here is an increase in your emotional intelligence, a strengthening of your self-worth and self-esteem, the motivation to be your authentic self, and the forward momentum to help you learn, heal, grow, and evolve. All right, so I was talking about compatibility and how it affects uh, New Year's resolutions or, I mean, we don't even have to talk about New Year's resolutions, really. What we can talk about is 
the commitments that we make to ourselves and how we don't follow through with those commitments and why not. Now, if you have downloaded the self-sabotage or stop self-sabotage worksheet on my website, or you actually got the uh, overwhelmed brain book, you're going to find a values exercise in there that will tell you uh, your compatibility with all the major areas in life. And when you find out what your values are, what you find most important in these areas in life, like relationships and business and personal growth and development, spirituality, anything that you want to uh, grow and develop and, or, or maintain and keep moving in a forward direction with, then you learn what motivates you and what drives you and uh, why you do the things you do. I mean, that's one of the things I teach on this show is why do we do the things we do? And one of the ways to find out is to figure out what's most important to you in your life. Because once you find that out, then like I said at the beginning of the intro, uh, maybe going to the gym three times a week isn't important to you. But you do it anyway because you want to stay healthy. But maybe there's something about going to the gym three times a week that you don't like. Like, I don't like going to the gym. In fact, I don't like it so much. I have a gym right next door and I still won't go because I don't like using the equipment. Um, I don't like the repetitiveness. Uh, to me, it's kind of boring, to be honest. <laughs> and uh, it's just not something I like doing. However... I do like staying in shape and I do like exercise in a different way. When I was younger, I would skateboard and I would also rollerblade. And um, I did that for a couple of decades and I stayed in shape that way. And then when I stopped rollerblading because I had some sciatic nerve issue that I had to deal with, I stopped exercising altogether. So for a period of time, I couldn't exercise at all. But now I'm in a place where I'm working on the overwhelmed brain and I have less time to exercise. So what I need to do is find something that's compatible with my lifestyle, compatible with um, the things I like to do, and compatible with my energy levels. And I have to look at my life and go, okay, what, what is that? Do I have to go to the gym because that's where people go? Do I have to do push-ups and sit-ups every night because that's what you're supposed to do? Do I have to take a walk for a mile or two every other day because that's what the doctor says to do? I'm not saying you shouldn't. <laughs> I'm not going against the doctor's orders. But if you find that you start to do these things and then you stop and you just can't keep it up, maybe what you're doing is just not compatible with you. And I think compatibility is important. I mean, think about this. For example, I remember when I was searching uh, for a new car. And I'm a tall guy. I'm, a, I'm six four. Well, tall in relation to the people I know. <laughs> and uh, finding a new car is difficult when you're tall because I think I drove a PT Cruiser once and my head was hitting the ceiling. And I'm driving this around going, how can anyone sit in this car? I can't even see out the windshield because my head's hitting the ceiling and where the windshield meets the roof uh, is where my eyesight was, <laughs> where my line of vision was. And uh, I couldn't. Um, I had to dock and crank my neck to the side just so I could see out the windshield. And it was very, very inconvenient. Yet somebody might say, well, the PT Cruiser is good on gas and you can store a lot of stuff in the back. So it would be a perfect addition to your life. It, it's something that you should do. But if I had bought that car, uh, I would be very unhappy. 
it wasn't compatible. So I sought something else that, that worked for me, and I found a leg room, and I found that my head didn't hit the ceiling in some models, and I ended up getting a car that did work for me. And I think that you have to look at life like this. Look at uh, relationships. When I met my future wife slash future ex-wife, <laughs> uh, I found incompatibilities right away. I mean, there were things about her that uh, I did not find compatible with the way I lived, how I thought, uh, although a lot of what we had together was good. But the things that I didn't find compatible, the things that I didn't like that uh, were problems right on the outset were big. They were emotional triggers for me. And I chose to push through those emotional triggers in hopes that things would get better, in hopes that maybe uh, I would be okay with it later. And come to find out that's not really how life works, at least not for me, and maybe not for you. I mean, have you ever committed to something uh, knowing that it wasn't that good or there was something about it that was not good, but the rest of it was good or great? But you decided, well, maybe that not good thing or that bad thing will change or get better. And then you find out it doesn't. And sometimes it gets worse. And, and this is especially true in relationships. You might be in a relationship that, well, he's everything I ever wanted except this one thing. And, you know, I can live with that. Well, let's see what happens. And then months and years go by and you realize, oh, I saw that warning sign in the beginning and I ignored it. Why did I ignore it? Well, I know why. Because we have hope. We have hope that someone will change. Someone will heal. Or we'll be able to handle it. We'll be able to get to a new place in ourselves that um, can get past or get beyond this. Like, I truly am unconditionally loving toward my partner. So I know I'll be able to handle this. And then later on we find out that it's the one thing that uh, pisses us off <laughs> or makes us upset in some way. And it's something that they've done from the very beginning. I found this in almost every relationship I've ever been in. You're either going to meet someone and they're going to show you their true colors and you're going to be able to assess who they are right up front or they're going to hide their true colors and you find this stuff out later after they've sucked you in and you've fallen in love and now you have this attachment to them and now they're doing something that you don't like and you realize, oh crap, uh, this is not what I wanted. But now it's harder to get out because of those emotional attachments or even uh, legal obligations or even you had kids together or you got married. I mean, the list goes on and on. So it's important to understand compatibility in your life. And compatibility is a, a, a large loaded word in the sense that you look at the things that you have in your life. For example, look at the material items that you have in your life. Look at your car. Is your car, first of all, compatible with your lifestyle because I guarantee you if you're if you work in construction and you own a tiny four-door sedan you're, you're probably not going to say yes it's compatible with my lifestyle because you can't put you know materials in the back you you don't have a big toolbox and you just don't have enough room you might need a pickup truck you might need something else so I would say that it's probably not compatible now you may not be able to afford a pickup truck. I mean, maybe that little sedan is all you have to get uh, to work and back. But when you think about 
for example, like I said, your car, and you go, well, it's not compatible, but it's all I can afford it, or it's all I have, that's fine. I'm not putting that down. I'm saying that uh, just look at it as another incompatibility in your life that hopefully you can change and um, trade in or uh, do something else with because uh, you know cars come and go. They don't last forever. And still using this car example, when you have a car that uh, is not compatible with your life, you just get by until you get one that is. My point with that is to understand it as an inca- incompatibility. Because when you look at something as being incompatible, then you, first of all, take away some of the hatred <laughs> towards it or towards what you have in your life or dislike or something. It comes out of the equation. You can look at something and go, that is not compatible with me. That is not compatible with my lifestyle. This car is not compatible with my lifestyle. I need a truck because I put stuff in the truck. I haul appliances around in my truck. Or I need a car. I need a larger sedan because I show clients real estate. Or I just need something that gets me back and forth to work. I don't care what it is. And anything is compatible as long as it has air conditioning. (laughs) It can be that or it can be something else. But whatever it is, you just look at it as one of the things that are important to you. Like we were talking about values. When it comes to having a car, what's important to me about having a car? I mean, that's one of the values questions. Because if you can figure out what's important about having a car and then fulfill those uh, important needs, then your life becomes better and less stressful and probably happier. And this is how it is with almost everything in your life. If you can look at your life and go, this is compatible, this is compatible, that person's compatible, my bed is compatible, Uh, my house is compatible, but this is not compatible. My commute to work is not compatible because I don't like sitting in a car for an hour or two when I go to work. And someone else might say, my commute to work is very compatible because I listen to this podcast or I listen to audiobooks or I do meditation while I'm driving, which is not a good idea. (laughs) But you know, you get to wind down after maybe some heated discussion at uh, home and you get to wind down after a stressful day if it's stressful for you, I don't know, at work, or at least uh, being needed so much at work, a lot of people do like the commute. It's a wind-down time or a wind-up time, whatever you use it for. But the idea is to look at it as compatible or not. And I love the idea of looking at life as compatible or not. For example, we were looking at TVs last night, and uh, it's the very first time I've ever purchased a flat-screen TV. I mean, I have computer monitors that I've purchased, but my last big TV was one of those old CRT tubes. And you know the kind. They're very big, very heavy, and nobody wants them nowadays. (laughs) You can't give them away for free. You find them all at Goodwill. (laughs) But, you know, some people still buy those because they're very inexpensive now. You can really get a good deal on them. But that's the last TV I owned. And so last night, My girlfriend and I were looking at TVs, big flat screen TVs, because their prices have come way down. And I figure, okay, we're going to upgrade, what do we have, a 32-inch, I think, which is very reasonable. 32-inch TV is very reasonable. And uh, we're going to upgrade. We want a 50-inch. Because I I said, you know, we've earned it. This year, we've earned a 50-inch TV. And I'm looking at um, all the TVs, and 
the price range is compatible with what I want to spend. The uh, functions and specifications on it are compatible. Oh, it has 4K. Great. It has 120 hertz refresh rate. Or at least it says it does. <laughs> That's marketing hype. It's a good brand name. I have all these uh, qualifications or criteria. I go, okay. I thought that's a good TV and that's a good picture and it's a good price. I see compatibility. Everything comes into alignment. And when it comes into alignment, the stress decreases. Like my girlfriend was saying, you know, it's hard for me to buy big things. It's hard for me to make a big purchase because it's a big commitment. But when everything comes into alignment, it's not hard anymore. It's not as stressful. I mean, there are still decisions in life that are hard and stressful, yes, but when everything is compatible and in alignment, it synchronizes perfectly, then going through with it is easy. So I got a good TV at a good price and all the criteria I wanted and we took it home and that was my, my gift to the family or one of the gifts that I've given to the family and we're all pretty happy with it. But there was no level of uh, stress or worry or anything like that because I made sure that I was checking in. I mean, you can almost call it intuition. When you list all the things that are important to you about a certain thing, like what's important to me about a TV? What's important to me about having a TV in the living room? What, what are all these things? And you make sure you meet that criteria. When you do, it feels good. Everything lines up. So when you look at um, compatibility in, for example, your relationship, what doesn't line up and what does? What is compatible and what's not? Does the kissing feel right? Does holding hands feel right? Does communication feel right? Does sex feel right? Do you feel like you are understood and that you're being listened to? Uh, do you feel like you're loved and nurtured and supported? I mean, do all these things line up or are there incompatibilities? Because it's easy for us to look at a person and go, that person is bad. That person does this and it makes me upset. So does it make them a bad person or does that make them incompatible with you and your lifestyle? And believe me, I've looked at people and said, that's a bad person. <laughs> there are people in this world that I can look at and go, that's a bad person. Even though deep down they may have a heart of gold and that they're doing bad behavior, I still give myself permission to say, that's a bad person and I don't want them in my life. And I'm not saying that's a fact or not. I'm saying that for me, they're bad. But really, when I don't get along with someone or I don't like someone for one reason or another, I just say, well, their lifestyle is not compatible with mine. They like to um, take a lot of drugs. Their lifestyle is not compatible with mine. Doesn't mean they're a bad person. I have a relative that takes a lot of drugs. Doesn't mean they're a bad person. But their lifestyle is not compatible with mine, so I wouldn't necessarily enjoy time with them. Actually, I have several relatives that take a lot of drugs. <laughs> so, so if you're listening, I'm not talking about you specifically, one of my relatives. I'm talking about in general, some relatives of mine uh, take drugs and their lifestyle is different than mine. So it's not uh, really compatible with me. But this is what it's about. is It's about looking at your life, looking at the people in your life and figuring out compatibility. So I want you to keep this in mind as we go into the next segment because if you see life as a series of compatible or incompatible uh, opportunities or interactions or 
whatever you want to call it, then you can start making more logical decisions that will help you feel better emotionally. And and this really spans through a lot of things in life. I mean, I've been presented with opportunities that were enticing. Like, we want to fly you to a, a tropical island and, and give this talk. And I was like, oh my God, that sounds enticing. I want to do it. But I couldn't go through with it because there were things in my life at that time that weren't compatible with uh, taking the time off, taking the time away from the project that I was on, um, all these other things. It just the stuff I was doing at the time was very compatible and I was in a groove. But the stuff I was presented with, even though it was enticing and maybe would you know change my life for the better, didn't feel compatible. So the uh, stress built up and I wasn't sure what I should do and I had all these thoughts come to mind. So I had to go through my values again and go, okay, what's most important to me right now? And I went back to my commitments to myself and said, you know, I committed to myself that I would finish this project no matter what. And I went back to that commitment and I'll tell you what, even though I, I gave up an opportunity to do something as enticing as that, it felt damn good to be in integrity with myself, to come back to me and go, you know what, I'm going to follow through on that commitment I made to myself because that is just a shiny object and I'm not going to go after it. I'm going to follow through on this commitment with myself and that feels pretty good. When you follow through with a commitment to yourself, that synchronizes with you. It makes you feel good. It's, um, it's the full compatibility that I'm talking about. Yes, it probably was out of my comfort zone and we're told you should stretch out of your comfort zone and so you can experience new things. I totally agree with that. But as you learn and grow through this stuff and figure things out for yourself and commit to yourself more, you find that honoring the commitments that you made to yourself keep you in alignment with the path that you really want to be on overall. So I want to talk about compatibility in the next segment. So just keep this in mind because I'm going to read you like a very small portion of an email in the Ask Paul segment, and uh, I'll tell you why compatibility plays a big role in life in general, overall. So this is the New Year's episode. If you want to make this new year great, go into it with the idea of compatibility and what will keep you moving in a direction with forward momentum. Be right back with Ask Paul right after this. All right, today's episode is brought to you by GetOutOfTheMess.com. And uh, if you've listened to this show a while, you heard Asha talk about it. She is a Legal Shield rep. And what she does is connect you with a service that provides you a very low subscription-based legal service that does a lot, so much more than I, I can even talk about or mention on this show because you don't know it until you try it. For example, I've gotten my um, book contracts reviewed all for my subscription price of $20 a month. And let me tell you, if you've ever hired an attorney to look at a contract for you, it will cost you hundreds, maybe even thousands, depending on how many pages the contracts are. But I only pay $20 a month. And this is a real service with real attorneys in 
legitimate law firms in the state that you're in. If you're in the U.S. or Canada, this is where it applies. But I encourage you to call Asha at 678-355-8777 and ask her about this service and if it would be right for you. She'll tell you which law firm you'll be a part of. And working with their attorneys is like having your own personal attorney that you can call anytime. I mean, just having the ability to ask them any question you want. And you'll get a specialist in that area. If you want to talk about um, the end of your lease is coming up and what would happen if I broke it or somebody tripped in my lawn and they want to sue me. So what do I do? I mean, any question that you can think of, you can call them anytime. And it's all part of the low monthly subscription. And they also have family plans. So if you want to put your whole family on, you can do that too. So give Asha a call 678-355-8777 or go to getoutofthemess.com and find out more today. All right, welcome back to Ask Paul. This is where I read a listener email on the air, and I do my best to help them answer a challenge or two. And uh, this email I'm going to read in pieces, and it goes along with the compatibility segment that I just talked about. Because when we look at life and we see that uh, there are things that aren't working in life, we can say, you know, that's a bad person, that's a broken car, that's a bad job or a terrible boss or whatever. Or we can go, you know, that car is incompatible with my needs. My needs require a running car (laughs) and uh, that one doesn't run. And it changes the emotional energy behind it. That's not really my main focus, like changing the emotional energy behind it. My main focus is looking at life as a series of compatibilities so that you can make um, decisions a little easier. Instead of feeling like, well, I'm committed to this and I'm going to keep going even though I hate it. Because you know that feeling, right? You hate something, but you committed to it. So you got to keep going. You feel an attachment to this commitment that you made. And yes, there's a lot of emotions there too because you're a person of your word and you won't back down and you don't want to disappoint anyone else. But if you look at a situation as a compatibility problem, like, hey, This person, this thing, this job, this car, this whatever is not compatible with me and my lifestyle. So I need to find someone or something that is. That, like I said, changes your approach and helps you make the decision a little easier. I mean, these decisions aren't always easy. There are some hard things in life to have to decide about. But this gives you an overall bigger picture on what direction you may want to go with yourself. Because you can have a great relationship, but the things that aren't compatible about you are very important. And if they're high on the scale of importance and you're not compatible there, you're probably not going to be very happy in it. Anyway, just keep that in mind as I read you some of these things. And Like I said, I'm going to read this in pieces and answer as I go along because uh, it makes more sense to do it that way uh, given this type of letter that uh, goes through a lot. So here it is. I'll call her Mary. First off, I need to say that your show woke me up out of a life that I didn't even realize that I had trapped myself in. I had allowed myself to stay in a relationship that had slowly drained the life out of me. I was in a relationship in which I gave all of myself, as I always usually do, and my guy gave little to nothing back. 
I've always known that I am a giver, although now I'm starting to understand why that is. I give love and affection because I need love and affection. I have never thought about it that way until I listened to your show. And I'm going to cut in right here and say, yes, this is a great insight that you came upon, Mary, to understand that uh, sometimes what we give the most of is what we want from someone else or something else or a situation. For example, my whole life, I believed that working hard equals a good monetary return. So I equated working hard with receiving money or being promoted or getting to a point where I felt comfortable or even well off. So I always had that mentality. So when throughout life, when I worked hard and I did not get a good monetary reward, uh, eventually I would get burnt out and not want to work hard anymore or just quit. Actually, that's what I usually do. I, I, I have a good work ethic, so I would just quit and not stop working hard because it never felt rewarding. It was never a reciprocal. So excellent insight, excellent observation about uh, yourself and life in general in a lot of situations. So I'm going to continue reading here. It says, I am a people pleaser, but I'm also a lover. I'm trying to understand the difference in pleasing someone else and just being a nice person. When is it okay to say no? How can I show someone I love them? I've always shown love by giving love, if that makes sense. I do anything and everything in the beginning to make them happy. But by the end of the relationship, I am burnt out. I never get as much back as I give. When is saying no to something mean and selfish? All right, I'm going to cut back in here and say that um, I've talked about people pleasing on a couple recent episodes, so I highly recommend you listen to those. But to answer your question, when is saying no no to something mean and selfish? I think you meant to say not mean and selfish. Like when is saying no to something not a selfish thing to do that sounds mean or appears mean to the other person? I'd like you to to reframe that and look at it as saying yes to yourself. Because, and we're going to talk about this in a moment, but well, let's just say, let's put it this way. When you're with someone you love and they are faced with a decision where they say, yes, they want to do it or no, they don't. And they're faced with a yes or no decision. And you watch them say yes to something they really don't want to do. And it makes them unhappy. How do you feel? How do you feel seeing them do something they don't want to do? If you're a loving, caring, supportive, nurturing person, you're probably going to be a little upset. You're probably going to say, why didn't you just follow through? And do what you wanted to do. You are supporting their path. You are supporting them, honoring themselves. And that's a good feeling in the sense that when you're a loving person and you love someone else and they really don't want to do something and they say no to it and it makes them feel good knowing that they don't have to do something that they don't want to do, you support that. You go, I'm all about that, honey. <laughs> I, I don't want you doing anything you don't want to do. Because that feels good in you to support them doing that. But if they said, all right, I'll do it, whatever they're talking about, and they don't want to do it, don't you feel bad? Don't you want to say, why did you say yes when you really meant no? I mean, look at it from that perspective. So when you ask the question, when is saying no to something not mean and selfish? Think of it this way. Are you willing to go out of alignment with your own integrity and respect for yourself 
just to please someone else. Now, as a people pleaser, you might say yes. <laughs> and I'm hoping that by listening to this episode and more episodes of this show and other shows or reading about this and learning about yourself, that you are more congruent in yourself. Congruent is when your thoughts and feelings match your external behavior. I mean, that's one definition of it. So if you think, no, I really don't want to do that, how do I stay in alignment in myself and be in integrity with myself and follow through with that? I have to behave in such a way that is in alignment with that. My behavior might be saying, no, I can't do that. And you can say that out of love. I love you so much, but that isn't in alignment with who I want to be. I mean, that's a good way to put it. That is not in alignment with who I want to be or how I want to live my life. So I'm going to have to decline. I mean, it depends on the situation and the wording's going to be a little different, but it's saying yes to yourself. It's saying, yes, self, I love you. Yes, self, I respect you. I honor you. And this is how I'm going to prove it. I'm going to stay in congruence and honor your path. Now, when you do that with yourself, you demand it of others, not verbally. <laughs> you require it of others, but you don't tell them you require it. You require it of yourself, which makes it assumed requiring of others. I hope that makes sense. It doesn't mean that you go up to someone, oh, I demand you <laughs> to respect me. It doesn't mean you have to do that. You might have to do that in some cases, but you uh, take it on yourself that I demand respect for myself, of myself. Boy, when you come across as that, other people have to fall in line to be in that respect circle, to be in your zone there. Otherwise, they're not honoring you, honoring yourself. They're not supporting your path. They may not agree with the decisions you're making, but it's still your path, your decisions. And people who support your path and your decisions, boy, they're going to be in your inner circle. <laughs> they're going to be the ones that you love and feel support and want to support most. This is what brings us closer together when we're allowed to be ourselves with other people. So eliminate the question, when is saying no not mean and selfish? And replace it with the question, when I don't say yes to myself, how does that hurt everyone? And you might think, well, it's fine for me, but it might hurt the person I'm with. And keep that in mind as I continue reading. We'll answer that in a second. She goes on to say, up until the first day that I listened to your podcast, I lived my life out of guilt. The person I am in a relationship with uh, manipulates me in a way that makes me feel guilty. I always feel like I'm half empty. And I've always tried to use relationships to fill that empty space. Pair that with my I'm not a quitter attitude and you can probably see this recipe for disaster. He's a manipulator, but I also recently realized that I am part of the problem. The way I responded to fights that we had just perpetuated all of our problems. I'm not taking all the blame, but I'm taking my fair share. I am just as guilty in trying to change him into being someone I wanted, using the guilt trip method, being manipulative, and overall being childish in responding to his needs. We separated for a while, and he told me, I know I can change to be the man that you need. But that's not what I wanted. I wanted him to stand on his own and, and be happy on his own. 
I always tend to take responsibility for his happiness. If he asks me to do something and I say no, it's a fight because he thinks I'm being selfish. All right, so with that last thing I said in mind about being an integrity to yourself is for the benefit of everyone, the idea is that when you show up as you are, your authentic self, and you feel good in your own skin, and you can be congruent in your behavior, when you show up as that, and the people around you support that, it's complementary. It's compatible. How people respond to you and how you are are compatible with each other. And that strengthens both of your uh, love and bonding and respect and support for each other and from each other. When, when you're both compatible in that sense, everyone wins. But if only one of you shows up as authentic and supportive of the other person, but the other person doesn't show up that way, you end up with uh, a one-sided relationship. And one of the things that you said, Mary, is taking responsibility for your role in the relationship and for your role in any dysfunction that comes up. I mean, to admit that, hey, I'm also manipulating here and also using a guilt trip and also being childish in, in responding to his needs that shows that you are addressing things within you that um, might need healing or might need um, updating or something, some sort of change in your behavior because by doing that, you sense that it probably doesn't make you feel very good. Or by doing that, it also exacerbates or makes worse the situation at hand. It's like now you have two manipulators on the scene and the situation is just going to get worse. But if you start being more authentic and being more congruent in your behavior and your actions, then the other person either has to conform and comply, which sounds <laughs> very, what, uh, dictatorish. <laughs> I don't mean it to be that way, but if you want an honest, authentic relationship and you show up as that person, then they show up as honest and authentic and you can find compatibility there damn, that's a good formula. That's a really good formula. But if you show up as honest and authentic and they can't handle your authenticity, then that incompatibility is going to wear both of you down. Unless you're that people pleaser that will keep giving and giving and giving and the taker keeps taking and taking and taking, uh, it won't wear that person down at all. They'll, they'll just be happier and happier while you get more and more miserable. It's not compatible. It works in the beginning because you, as a people pleaser, you get your helping needs met. Like, I love to help, I love to serve, and you get all those needs met. But when it comes time for reciprocation, it doesn't happen. And then the taker gets manipulative, mean, mad, or whatever they get. Uh, it's different for everyone. And you feel like you maybe you should give more so that they're not mean or mad. So you give more and more, and then you get more burnt out. And the cycle continues over the months and years, unfortunately, that it can go on. So showing up as more authentic and, and more the real you, being an integrity, in alignment with your integrity in yourself, benefits everyone. But if you choose to not be yourself and be overly giving to someone else and overly compassionate to someone else, that's when trouble starts and it causes them to be more dysfunctional and you to be more unhappy doesn't work. It's, it's a bad formula. Like you said, it's a recipe for disaster. So let me go on to something else that you said, which is 
you separated for a while and he said, I know I can change to be the man that you need. And you said, but that's not what I wanted. I wanted him to stand on his own and to be happy on his own. I'm going to say bravo. Bravo for you for having that attitude, for having that thought, because that is healthy. That is you going, don't change for me, change for you. You change because you want to change, not because I want you to change, because that difference makes the difference. If someone changes to make you happier, the chances of that change sticking are slim. I'm not saying it can't happen because someone can come along in your life and create a change in you that um, makes you feel better, a happier, healthier person. Someone can come along and incite those changes in you and you can even attribute it saying, wow, I, I met this person and I really felt like I needed to change for that person. But when I made those changes, they stuck and I loved them and this is how I want to be. That happens, but it's rare. It's really rare. In fact, most of the changes I see in relationships happen, unfortunately, after the breakup, after the divorce, because it's a shift that you go through after you've broken up that uh, causes you to go in another direction because the direction that you've been in didn't work. Otherwise, there wouldn't have been a bad relationship. At least one reason that could have been a number of reasons there was a bad as a breakup or a bad relationship or a bad situation. But what you find out about yourself in a relationship is that what I've been doing hasn't worked. Now let's break up. I'm going to change what I've been doing or how I've been living or how I've been showing up. And that's why some people just simply disappear. You know what I'm talking about? It's like one of my clients that said, you know, she broke up with me and she no longer talks to me. She doesn't want anything to do with me. And I'm like, well, she probably looked at her relationship with you and realized that's who I don't want to be anymore because that relationship didn't work for me. I can look at it as an incompatibility, but she or the other person I'm talking about may not have said it that way. But I look at it as, okay, you're together and it's not working. It's an incompatibility. So we need to separate. But why doesn't she want to talk to me anymore just to be friends? Because the people you were in that relationship didn't work. They weren't compatible. Therefore, you may need to move on. And someday when you make changes in your life or that person makes changes in their life, you could meet again, maybe as friends, maybe as romantic partners. Who knows? But you have to be away from each other long enough where you make the changes on your own without their influence. Which is why I come back to Mary and say, bravo for you saying that I want him to change for himself. I want him to stand on his own and be happy on his own. And I'm all about that. Bring happiness into a relationship. Don't look for happiness from the relationship, from the other person. Because that puts pressure on the other person to show up to make you happy. And that's hard. And I know that there are people listening right now. You may, you may be in a relationship right now where your happiness is supplied from the other person. And if you're in that situation, I want you to start loving yourself and nurturing yourself and supporting yourself as if you are your own best friend, your own lover, your own 
healthy mom, your own healthy dad, so that you can find some internal happiness so it's not drawn from the other person. The other person, yes, can make us happy. A situation can make us happy. An environment can make us happy. But boy, when we rely on all these outside sources for our sole source of happiness, that's when it gets tough. That's when we cause a lot of stress and strife in ourselves. All right, so let me uh, go into the next part of this letter, which is nearly done, almost to the end. She goes on to say, uh, when I suggested that we both go to therapy on our, on our own, he refused, saying that he would only go to couples therapy together. I feel like he leans on me for everything and never, and never takes responsibility for himself. All right, so there's a clear indicator that he's not willing to change for himself. He only wants to make changes to show you that he is the right person for you. And that sounds noble, <laughs> but it is a tactic that is often used in manipulative relationships is used to convince the other person that, see, I'm changing for you, but really still holding on to the person that they are. I'm saying this from first-hand experience because this is exactly what I believed I was doing. When I was married, I started uh, changing my ways and stopped being so judgmental and, and reading books and realized that was manipulative and I said, okay, I'm going to do all these things to change. I never sought uh, therapy for myself, but I was doing all this self-help. And I really believed inside of me that, wow, I'm on a good path here. I'm changing. And I would tell my wife all these changes. I would, quote, convince her that I was doing all these things and making all these changes. And she was excited. But at the end of the day, uh, I was still me. I hadn't really changed at all. I just told her I was doing it. And I, I would even have books to show her that I was doing it. But I was still me. I was still doing the behavior that caused her to be afraid around me. Not afraid, but not feel safe, I should say. She didn't feel safe to be herself. She didn't feel safe to be emotionally vulnerable because I would crush it. I would crush that vulnerability. And the more manipulative uh, I got, you know, mostly subconscious. I wasn't really conscious that I was being manipulative. The more manipulative that I got, the less safe she felt around me. And the more change that I made, even though it felt like I was changing, I still had the same emotional triggers that caused me to act the way I did. If those emotional triggers don't go away, if they're not addressed, then you can do all the self-help and therapy you want but if you don't address what's really triggering you, for example, my wife eating junk food always triggered me. I never addressed what was actually triggering me. I still had the belief that as soon as she stopped eating junk food, I would get better. Our relationship would get better. And that was just baloney. <laughs> it was just a false belief system because I would still own the emotional trigger. Uh, even if she got healthy and went to the gym every day, it wouldn't have mattered. I would still be holding on to whatever fear or anger or upset that was inside of me when I was uh, judgmental at the time. And the way I healed is by her leaving me, by her divorcing me, by me being alone, by me being uninfluenced at all by her. And then me reflecting, like we do on the new year, right? 
we reflect on everything that we did, we look back and we go, wow, I was totally incompatible with my wife and she was incompatible with me. Then not just in that way, in a lot of other ways. There were a lot of things that were great and there were a lot of things that weren't. But the ones that really stood out, my emotional triggers and my judgments, were so high on the list of affecting the relationship that it didn't matter how compatible we were. That incompatibility was just too great for her to uh, stick around. And a good thing she left because I was not getting better. And it would have been worse as time went on and I would not have learned had she not left. So uh, bravo to her. <laughs> bravo to my wife for leaving me. But it all it all worked out. She left. She's probably having a great life now without uh, me judging her. I've healed from probably 99% of my judgments and a lot of other fear and anger that was attached to that. And now I'm in a relationship that is healthy and and continuing to evolve and blossom. And it all worked, but it, it had to reach that pinnacle of full separation, full disconnect, so that I could make the realizations in, inside myself without that person still in my life complementing my dysfunctions. So even the ways that we complemented each other weren't always functional. <laughs> her dysfunction complemented my dysfunction, and my dysfunctions triggered her dysfunctions, and it was a vicious cycle. So let's get to the very end of this letter, which is this. And she wrote quite a bit, but I'm going to read you one question that's probably my favorite question, uh, or at least one of my favorites of all time. And she writes this, What if me saying no makes the other person feel unloved when I really do love them? Like I said, that's probably one of my favorite questions. What if me saying no makes the other person feel unloved? So let me answer that question by rewording it in a way that will cause you to come up with an answer yourself. Are you ready? <laughs> Here it is. What if the person who loves me only does so if I do exactly what he wants all the time? Now, when it's worded that way, I mean, the first scenario that comes to mind is like um, an abductor and his abductee. It's like you're holding someone captive. What if the person who loves me only does so if I do exactly what he wants all the time? That sounds like a prisoner. <laughs> and that's bad. And I want you to think of the question that way. Your original question was, what if me saying no makes the other person feel unloved when I really do love them? Well, first of all, that is a manipulator's uh, perspective that he or she has injected into your brain because that's not reality. That's an inference that he or she wants you to make so that you feel guilty. I'm going to tell you this. It's exquisitely worded. The way you just worded that is exquisite because it makes it sound like you have no other choice but to say yes in order to for the other person not to feel bad. And to a people pleaser, that's hard. <laughs> to a lot of people, that's hard. They don't want other people to feel bad. But to a people pleaser, especially hard because they want other people to like them. They want other people to be happy. They want the conversation to go calmly and smoothly. And everyone just has to be in a good space. But to go around thinking, wow, if I honor myself, it might upset someone else. That is a, a prisoner's attitude. That is like saying, well, if I whistle loudly after 11 p.m. at night, 
I'll be put in the, what do they call it, the hole. <laughs> I'll be put in solitary confinement if I break the rules. Because if you're walking around on eggshells thinking about breaking the rules and you can't be yourself, that is not a healthy situation to be in. If you feel like you can't be yourself, you can't be authentic in a relationship, in a job, in a situation, that is not healthy. That is ideas implanted into your mind to cause you to conform to an environment or a situation that keeps you from being who you really want to be. Now, if you're in prison because you broke the rules, you broke the law, uh, you do have to conform to the rules. You have no choice. You're imprisoned. You're paying the price. You're being punished. But if you're not in prison and you're in a relationship, a job, a situation, a circumstance, yes, you have to follow societal rules and things like that and be kind to others. But if you feel like, I'll make other people feel bad if I am myself, you really have to question the environment or relationship that you're in. Because you don't want to live like that. That's walking on eggshells. That's, that's not fun. Someone who loves you, uh, supports your happiness, and wants you to make decisions that are good for you. So if you say no to that person, and if they truly love you and want you to be happy, then they'll support that no. However, if they only want themselves to be happy, then they'll be focused on themselves and how your decisions benefit or are a detriment to them and not you. They're not focused on you, they're focused on themselves. They'll, Of course they'll feel unloved because you can't feel love when you don't truly love outside yourself. You can love yourself, but when you really love others as unconditionally as you can, that's hard, <laughs> but you do your best, then you're happy when others are happy. And that might mean that when you say no, when you mean no, and that makes you happy, that should make the people that love you happy too. It should. <laughs> it doesn't often, but that's how I define a more healthy relationship. It's just that some people redefine love in a way that's selfish sometimes. Some people define love as a submission to another person's needs. I don't define love like that. I define it as supporting someone else's path, even if their path doesn't have me on it. Because after all, why would I want to stay with someone who doesn't want me in their life anyway? If they don't want me, then I'll support that. It'll hurt. I will have pain. I will have some grieving to do. I will need to heal. But I don't want someone who doesn't want me. And I don't want someone who feels like they have to be dishonest with me because they'll think that I won't love them. It's awkward. It's not right. It's not healthy. It's not good in the relationship to feel like you have to be dishonest. So I don't want that in my relationship. I would rather have full honesty by you saying, no, I don't want to do that. And me going, oh, that really upsets me, but I'm so glad you were honest because now we don't have to go to the ballet because I didn't know you hated it. Or something like that. Actually, I probably wouldn't go to the ballet myself. But just as an, as an example, when my girlfriend says no, I am honored she told me the truth. That shows that she loves me enough to be honest. If she said yes to something, but I found out later that she really didn't want to do it, I would be probably upset. I mean, it depends on what it is. 
<laughs> but mo for the most part, if that was her common thing, like I always say yes, even though I mean no, I would be upset and I would want to know why she couldn't tell me the truth. I'd be like, why can't you tell me the truth? And if she said, well, you're so sensitive and I didn't want to hurt your feelings. I'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa. We don't want to live like this. I don't want you to walk on eggshells around me. I want you to treat me as an equal. I want you to be able to be yourself and express what's on your mind. And, you know, don't hold back, even if you know it's going to upset me. Sure, there might be things that upset me, but I'd rather have something to work with than you holding back or thinking that you have to lie to me. You know, one of my values in a relationship is honesty. Honesty, respect, integrity, all these values that uh, define compatibility for me. If she's not in alignment with those values in a relationship, then there's a huge incompatibility there. So it's important for you to check in with your values in any situation or relationship that you're in and make sure you're still in alignment. Because as soon as you get out of alignment and you are no longer making decisions and doing things in alignment with those values, that's when you start getting burnt out. That's when things start going downhill and it's no fun and it only gets worse. Now let me end uh, this show with this because this is probably the most important point. One of the hardest situations to be in is when you're with someone that can't handle you being true to yourself. If you're with someone who can't handle you being true to yourself, I don't believe you're in a truly loving relationship. Now this is my opinion, and it may not match your current reality, but loving someone in a way that honors them honoring their path almost always strengthens the relationship as opposed to relationships that uh, are more about each person trying to please themselves or come from a place of uh, fear, like I need to protect myself all the time. The only type of relationship I've seen work where one person has a dysfunction and the other person has a dysfunction is when they're the same dysfunction. <laughs> In the sense, like, instead of complimenting each other's dysfunction, like the people pleaser gets with the taker, and the more they please, the other, the more the other person takes, and it just wears one of them down and makes the other one happier. <laughs> it doesn't work. It keeps going downhill. But if you get a people pleaser together with another people pleaser, which usually doesn't happen because they're not attracted to each other, because they both want to be the helper, but if and when it happens, it can work wonderful <laughs> because it's an equal relationship that seems to work despite people pleasing be generally being seen as a dysfunction. So this stuff can work just because you have some sort of dysfunction. And I put that in quotes, doesn't mean you can't find someone that um, really appreciates that dysfunction or is highly compatible with that dysfunction. That, that can work. It doesn't mean you have to change. However, people pleasing is something I believe maybe you should heal from. Maybe you should uh, nurture and do some self-loving and be compassionate towards yourself. Like I said, I have episodes on that, but sometimes you do find people that can be okay with those dysfunctions. So all is not lost. <laughs> if you're in a situation where you have this quote dysfunction and you're not sure if you can ever get beyond it, well, some other dysfunctional person will come along or a healthy person that doesn't mind your dysfunction comes along and you can get along great. So I don't really mean to paint anyone into a corner we all have something going on, right? <laughs> but we're just trying to avoid the uh, lopsided relationships that fail miserably. And sometimes we don't find out what those are until 
much later in the relationship when things really start happening and you go, whoa, what did I sign up for? <laughs> anyway, that's the show for the new year. I want you to take this idea of compatibility instead of always seeing things as bad or people as terrible uh, or situations or jobs or anything else you got going on in your life that just doesn't seem to work for you or makes you terribly unhappy. Look at it as an incompatibility. Or look at the things that do work for you and see those as a compatibility. And um, do the values exercise in the book, The Overwhelmed Brain, which you can find on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Or you can also download the Stop Self-Sabotage Worksheet on my website, which has that same exercise that's in the book. But you might as well get the book anyway, right? It has that and more. <laughs> so anyway, thank you for joining me. I hope you have a very complimentary, functional, compatible and finally, somewhat peaceful and relaxing start of your new year. And I appreciate you listening. We'll be right back with some thank yous. And then I'll close the show with a final thought right after this. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank a couple people, three people actually, Danny, I think you pronounce it, Carol, and Anthony. You know what they did? They bought The Overwhelmed Brain book. They went to Amazon and they left reviews. And I'm here to tell you, if I see your name in a review anywhere, I'm going to thank you on the air. So I appreciate that. That really makes me grateful and I appreciate you. Thank you so much. So if you have a review of my book out there, The Overwhelmed Brain, and I haven't found it yet, let me know and I'll thank you on the air as a token of my appreciation for you. Remember, you can go to Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com, buy the book, and if you leave a review, even if it's a bad one, <laughs> I'll thank you on the air and you'll be heard in over 120 countries. And also thank you to Shalinda. I appreciate you, Shalinda. Thank you so much. And I want to thank GetOutOfTheMess.com for their support of this show. These are real attorneys with real law firms that will really help you when you get into a mess. So go to GetOutOfTheMess.com or call Asha at 678-355-8777 and she'll tell you all about the service. And I want to thank everyone that used the Amazon link to do their Christmas shopping. That really helps. That continues to keep the show going because anytime you use the Amazon link at TheOverwhelmedBrain.com, it supports the show. Every purchase you make, um, Amazon sends us a few pennies on the dollar and it adds up and it's very helpful. So if you're really getting value from this show and you want to support it, go to TheOverwhelmedBrain.com and click on the Amazon button every time you shop on Amazon. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. And finally, the last thank you to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in The Overwhelmed Brain. And regarding today's topic of compatibility, uh, I started talking about like um, going to the gym three times a week. It just wasn't compatible with what I like to do or how I like to exercise. However, I found that in the 90s when my girlfriend and I uh, were interested in ballroom dancing, we started doing that and we got more exercise than we ever did because we loved it. And let me tell you what, when you find something that you love to do and it includes things that are healthy for you, like moving your body, that's like not having to work when you go to work because you're still moving, you're still exercising, or at least in my case, we were still moving, we were still exercising, but we were having fun doing it. And, you know, after two or three 
sometimes four hours after dancing, we'd be like, oh, we'd be exhausted. But we didn't know we were exhausted until the end of the night. And that's the best kind of feeling. That is showing that um, it met a lot of, of our criteria of not only having fun and socializing, but also exercising and moving our body. So that's just one little thing that popped up in my life and made me realize that, hey, I don't have to go to the gym. <laughs> I can do something else. And I'm talking about anything, anything in your life that you feel like you have to do. This can work anywhere in life. It's a, it's a matter of understanding what you like, what you don't like, what's your criteria, what your, what's important to you about um, having fun. When, what do you do for fun? And what do you do to make yourself happy? What do you do, what do, you do to make yourself feel relaxed? What do you do uh, to make you feel good? And if you can combine all these things with other things that are healthy for you, exercise, for example, or even um, grieving, even grieving over a loss of someone in your life, whether uh, you broke up, whether they died, uh, you have grieving to do, um, and that may take a few months. You know, you give yourself a few months to grieve for sure. But as you, you know, as you kind of wind down, you might want to start um, nurturing yourself in ways that make you feel better. Instead of going uh, to a place that always reminds you of that person, you go somewhere else that makes you feel a little bit better. You allow yourself to grieve but you associate it with something else that makes you feel good. And eventually the, um, the good feelings start combining with some of the grieving. And, and then as the grieving dissipates, the good feelings take over. It's not replacing anything. You're just doing things in conjunction with. And it tends to rewire the brain. And I'm sort of speaking outside my realm of experience here. I'm not a neuroscientist, but... You get the idea. It's like um, the Pavlov's dog thing where he rings a bell and the dog starts salivating because they think they're going to get steak. Pretty soon you associate good stuff with healthy stuff and you're lured into wanting those things more. It's like, I'm not going to go to the gym and walk on a treadmill for five miles, but will you walk two miles to visit someone that makes you really happy? Maybe, who knows? But the idea is if you really don't want to do something, maybe you can find a way to do it that uh, doesn't fall under the societal norm of the things you quote should do. This is one of those um, New Year's resolution talks, I guess. <laughs> like, oh, I'm going to commit to doing this on New Year's and then follow through with that commitment, even though you may have had trouble following through on commitments before and throughout the year and last New Year's. So how can I possibly get any benefit from what I was going to do last year or this year knowing that I probably won't follow through. What can I do instead? What can I do that's a little different than I've committed to before? Like a good book for that is The Slight Edge by Jeff Olson. Look up The Slight Edge Jeff Olson or go to my website. I have it under my resources tab and uh, he talks about you know when if you wanted to read more books it's easy when you can read 10 pages a day. It's hard when you look at a thick book and go, oh, I can't read that whole thing. But he says the compound effect of doing just a little bit each day builds up. And pretty soon, after a month, you've read a whole book. Because a book's around 300 pages, right? Well, actually, my book is less than 200. So there you go. <laughs> read 10 pages a day and you'll be done within three weeks. So his book or my book, or if it's not about books for you, it's for something else then take that compound 
effect idea with you and do it with an open mind by stepping into your power and being firm in your decisions and actions so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps every day to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, you are amazing. So, Asha, how's it going to get over the get over the mess? What is it? Get out of the mess? <laughs> yeah, get out of the mess, fool. <laughs> Are you really recording? This? I'm recording now. You sound a little under the weather. What's going on with you? <laughs> Aside from laryngitis, nothing. Well, as always, it's been fun talking to you. <laughs>